What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With Eric Esquivel. Welcome back to Super Friends. I am joined today by a man that I'm very fond of, both as a person and his work, James Fino. Hey. How's it going? Oh, great. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. So let's start real fast. We're, so we're talking about Superman 2, the right. Donner Cut, yes. which is your favorite Superman story. Um, yeah, it is actually, um, yeah, we, you know, just in, in getting ready for this, I went back and revisited both the theatrical cut and the Donner Cut again because when the Donner Cut came out, like when the Blu-ray uh, collection came out in 2006 mm-hmm. and the Donner Cut came out, um, I was so excited, as I'm sure everybody else was, to see this footage that we had always heard about, yeah. and just to see how he had intended for that story to play out yeah, you know, yeah. before um, he was so unceremoniously removed from the project and um, and Richard Lester took over. But mm-hmm. um, I thought it was an amazing way to treat the characters. I thought a lot of the stuff in there made so much more sense mm-hmm. than what we had ended up for, you know, with uh, for 30 years, you know, knowing as Superman too. Yeah, yeah. So just to get fans up to speed, the reason there are two versions for this movie is because the yeah the director who did Superman one, Richard Donner, right, uh, who also worked on Lethal Weapon and Poltergeist and the oh, yeah, Goonies, yeah, the Omen, yeah. Uh, he's he's the guy who trained Jeff Johns on how to tell stories. He was, um, he was yeah kicked off the second second movie right, right. after I, filming most of it. Yeah, like so, uh, supposedly seventy five percent of footage of Superman two uh, yeah. his version had already been shot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some people say that, yeah, oh, he was shooting it back-to-back, but they weren't shooting it back-to-back. They were actually shooting two movies simultaneously, oh meaning that, that they had to actually block out, shoot, keep track of the continuity for costume changes for all the Daily Planet shots yeah. of, the, of the characters for both movies that they would shoot so and plan crazy. at the same time. Yeah. So it's different than shooting a full movie than immediately going into the next movie. Much because, different. Yeah, you're just balancing so many things and character arcs, all mm. all the emotion for the actors. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so you're very well versed in this kind of thing. You work in Hollywood. Uh, you have a man of many hats. So let's talk about <laughs> you real fast. What, uh, what is your what do you, what do you do, James? Uh, well, right now I'm a um, well, right now uh, I'm a, uh, a co-owner. I'm a partner of Starburns Industries here in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Uh, some really great partners: Dan Harmon and Dino Samatopoulos and Duke Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, the company is um, like seven and a half years old now, mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, before that, you know, I, I I actually started out in advertising in Texas. I'm from mm-hmm. El Paso, Texas. I cool. went to UT Austin, and I double majored in uh, radio, TV, and film, and um, and advertising. But since fourth grade, I had already made up my mind that I was going to get into filmmaking in awesome. s- in some way because I was just totally. Um, I was totally dreaming about being a special effects guy and building oh, really? miniatures and doing special effects for movies, for big movies. I had, you know, grown up on these disaster epics from the seventies, the Poseidon Adventure and sure. Earthquake and sure. Towering Inferno. Awesome. And I w- and then around the same time, um, that we, we saw the reissues uh, in the theaters of all the Ray Harryhausen classics. Oh, so, so good. I just like was you know aside from the Rankin Bass uh, holiday specials, which I also loved, the Ray Harryhausen monsters were just like. Man, they they really got my imagination flying, and also created this hunger in me to find out how technically this was being done. Because, 
you know, you know, I'm an old guy, you know. So back then in those days, we, there was no internet, no mm-hmm. way of finding out anything except going to the library, and there might be a magazine article with an yeah. interview where they might hint at how they were doing stop motion animation or how they were doing these processes. Get a Starlog or was, Fangoria. Yeah, <laughs> Starlog was basically the the most uh, uh, probably uh, educational for me and mm-hmm. for a lot of people growing up at that time. These interviews with not only the directors, producers, and actors, but also the writers and uh, the technicians who are kind of not giving away their secrets, but at least shedding some light on like how this was all being done. That's really cool. And now you're a producer on stop motion uh, features and, and yeah. like the, the communities at Christmas special. You worked on that as well, right? Right. That was actually our very first project we did for um, as, as Starburns, as a, as a company. Mm-hmm. And it was a community Christmas special, Obvious Uncontrollable Christmas. Which is so good. It's like in the style of Rankin-Bass. Yeah, it's- yeah. But so much better, actually. You know, our memory of, of Rankin-Bass is that it was, you know, this whimsical, really nice stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's actually, when you go back now, technically, there's so many uh, flaws <laughs> with it. But, you know, in our memories, we just gloss over that because yeah. it's just so enjoyable to watch. So, uh, so, so speaking of, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, oh, no, so I was going to say ours isn't the, isn't the flavor, uh, but we technically tried to make it like leaps and bounds uh, above that. And it uh, is. I watch it every Christmas. That's my, <laughs> oh, that's my new you. ritual. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, for me, it's a really important piece of animation I've helped produce because um, I worked on King of the Hill. Uh, for like the first six seasons, and that was my first animation, um, like professional job out here working in animation as a um, writer's assistant in the room and then mm-hmm. as a uh, production manager. And um, you know, uh, moving out here was a big deal to talk my parents into like yeah. believing in me and like yeah. being okay with the fact I'm going to come out here to make movies and it work in TV. Yeah. They don't understand anything that I'm telling them. They don't understand how we make make a living out here. Mm-hmm. So I had worked on a home improvement sitcom as oh, wow. a PA. Oh, I didn't realize that. And I loved it. I mean, the people there were great. It was a great family. And and my parents understood TV, so they were like, okay, you're working on a, a primetime show, which at the time was the number one show in the country, yeah. which helps. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely give you give the, a little bit of security. Of but, then I, but then I took off, and I went over to work on King of the Hill on this animated show, which they were like, well, it's on a major network, so I guess, you know, you're still okay. But my mom... Um, I would tell her, like, Mom, this Sunday, King of the Hell is going to be on. My name's going to be up on the credits. And uh, she'd say, okay, honey. And then uh, I'd ask her on Monday, like, did you watch it? Like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I forgot all about it. Oh, no. She did this for several weeks in a row. And then finally I was like, do you just not want to watch the show? And she said, honey, I just don't like animation that much. I said, but you watch the Disney movie. She said, oh, but those are beautiful. Those are very (laughs) colorful. And they have songs in them and music. And parents. And I said, oh, okay. But when um, I told her that the community Christmas special was going to be on, Mm -hmm. I only told her once, and I figured she's not going to watch it. You know, that's Mm -hmm. fine. I told my mom. She called me the next morning, and she said, honey, I started your show last night. Oh, that's great. And I said, you did? I said, well, what did you think? Did you think it was pretty? She said, it was more than pretty. It was a really good story. Oh, excellent. And I thought it was going to be just like another Christmas cartoon like they always have and be very just very funny or whatever. But it was very sad, and it got me thinking about what you're always telling me, that family doesn't have to be family. Like, blood relatives, family can be your group of friends mm-hmm. that you grew up with and that you depend upon. Mm-hmm. That can be your family. And that's what you've been trying to tell me all these years when you've been living away from home, mm-hmm. that you have a family of friends. Mm-hmm. And now I get it. And that's really I, that, like, blew me away that finally, like, <laughs> yeah. animation, like, this one story, and of course, it was an incredibly written story, and acted story, um, but it broke through to my mom that... Um, animation is not just a cartoon. It can actually be a very emotional yeah. medium to get a 
story across. So every year uh, we have what's called Orphan Christmas, my yeah. friends and I, and, and we hang out together, all of us who don't go uh, back home, wherever that is, You're right. who live in L.A., and we watch that Christmas special Aww. every year. That's great. That's great to hear. <laughs> Since it came out. And, and yeah, it's a big deal. We all bring food and hang out, and like that's our thing. And there's such an emotional core in that. And yeah. there's the Richard Donner would be excited about the verisimilitude, which is his buzzword for Superman. Oh, right, right. R- right, right. Because it, there's an emotional honesty there that resonates with you, even in a world that is clearly like uh cartoony like yeah, yeah. Ch- chang is a snowman at one point right. like it's so cartoonish but like it, you, it rings true and that's what superman does too and then superman 2 does in spades well so. i've told our director duke johnson that and um i tell him like every time i see this show and i see britta bot shed a tear oh. when he calls her on her yeah like just like you know basically being inauthentic Mm-hmm. And she knows it, and she cries because of her failure. Yeah, yeah. I cry. I like it. Really, like you know, moves me because mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a doll. But just that one little tear. There's not even any words being spoken. It's like it says so much. And um, I love stuff like that. I think it's great. Yeah, that's a great episode. Uh, I Thanks. love when Pierce comes back to help Abed <laughs> at the end, and the and the idea that like we're living in a fantasy that Christmas could be this big, beautiful, bright thing in the midst of the darkest time of the year and that fantasy making it real. That to me is where I live my life. I have the Superman podcast because I believe in truth, justice in the American way. And you don't always see that outside in reality. But the fact that we, we all know what those words mean, even though we invented them. Occasionally you can make them true. Like in the Superman world bleeds into our world when you help someone cross the street or when when you like any act of kindness, you can channel that energy. And I really like that about your stories, too. Thanks very much. And um, I believe the same thing. Like when I, you know, I grew up watching Superman as the reruns on TV as a black and white, Mm -hmm. uh, the the adventures of Superman. Yeah. Yeah. The George Reeves stuff. The George Reeves stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Old Neil and and, uh, Phyllis Coates. Um, they were just on reruns on TV, but that was something that I went to all the time and would watch. And at that age, as a kid, I didn't get that there was a romance between Superman and Lois Lane. I just thought like, oh, they work together, they're good friends, and he's out just helping the cops and helping our government sure. keep crime off the streets, and he's a good guy. And he's like, a, most of all, he's a pure guy, and he can't be bought. Yeah. He can't be manipulated, yeah, yeah. no matter what. As Clark or as Superman. Or, yeah, right. Yeah. And so... As a kid, I always thought that that was great that there was this like moral compass that I could always count on Superman for being the good guy no matter what. He would also save people no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he would give himself up. There was sacrifice that mm-hmm. he would do in order to keep people safe, mm-hmm. the good people safe. Mm-hmm. Um, which, um, you know, in the more, more well, in the recent Supermans, they, you know, the darker Supermans, uh, that hasn't really come through. Um, it's he's a different Superman, definitely for different times, and it's so it's weird, really yeah. um, it's taken some getting used to for me, and I'm not sure that I really like it. Yeah, uh, I I saw the the darker Supermans, and I was like, I prefer the 1978 Superman the movie, Christopher yeah. Reeve Superman. He's for me like the shiny moral compass that you know. Yeah. that I, I prefer to got, go back to. I always kind of see Superman as being like where America is at, ex- expressing itself through yeah. the character of Superman. That's true. So right now, in an era where we're so ashamed to be American that you don't even put it on the, it's not just League of America, it's just Justice League, yeah. uh, where we're like, Americans can't decide what America means or what we stand for. Right. We have a Superman who is lost and sad and scared and isolated and and uh, unrelatable and alien and like yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of how America sees itself right now is this incredibly strong thing that doesn't, that doesn't know what to do with its strength. I guess and that, I guess that's where I find my um, uh, I don't know how to put it my um, 
that I reject a Superman because I don't want the Superman. I want a Superman I can count on. Yeah. But I get the realism of that Superman. He's very mortal uh, in in his emotions and how he's yeah. expressing all these things that are happening to the world. And he's he's not um, he's not above it, and he's not separated from it. He's he's caught up in it. Yeah. And um, and I guess when I saw the movie, I was hoping for that. Give us like a hero that can help guide us out of this stuff yes, that we're in right now. That's the point of Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like your story told us with the Christmas special like with community, like reality doesn't have to be defined by what's happening. You can choose to change reality. You can right, you can right. you can change the whole game with just one move. Right. 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 Yeah. So. Superman is such a special icon, and Superman Two was was very important to the franchise because yeah. everyone loved the first one. Exactly, and then for two, like, how do you follow that? And one kind of had no melee. There's no fighting in it. It's yeah. just him chasing missiles and, and yeah. being cool. But two, he actually comes up against other people of power. Yeah, and you see how they abuse it, and, and they actually are in the White House, like, and like at one point, and right, right. You see how he racks people who are abusing this power, and that's a very important part of Superman. Definitely, and also the fact that he falls in love and he actually gives up his power in which he makes a personal choice um, and just, of course, uh, as a good story would, uh, but he makes that choice just ahead of the villains coming down and taking over <laughs> yeah. just when we could really use that guy. Yeah. He gives up his powers, and then he has to like deal with that. Um, what I love about the Richard Donner cut is that they reinserted all the footage they had of Jor-El, of mm -hmm. Marlon Brando, and the dialogue between the two of them as father and son are really moving because he's basically, you know, trying to guide his son and telling him he's not going to he's not going to tell him no, but he's really going to ask him to think twice about doing this, what yeah, he's yeah. doing. And he lets him do it. And there's a shot there's, where uh, well, there's several shots of Margot Kidder, Lois Lane, looking down upon the conversation happening. And she's, it's the it's the the morning after or after they've made love, and she's wearing Superman's T-shirt, yeah. which is I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah, very relatable. Yeah. And so she's looking down at this father and son dialogue going on, mm -hmm. and after Marlon Brando Jorel agrees to let him do this, and he explains everything, and he says, "All right, you're going to go through with this." There's a shot from uh, up on top where the Lois Lane is looking down at him and Marlon Brando Jor-El looks up at her to like let her know that he knows she's there and that this is the sacrifice his son is making for her which yeah. I there's no dialogue you know it's just that look that he gives That's and great. I'm just like whoa this is like I hadn't caught that before, mm -hmm. and I thought that was really powerful. And it's funny because this is clearly an echo of the Delilah and Samson story from the yeah. Bible, right? But in this incarnation, Lois never asked him to do this. Right. And, and in fact, later on, they're at a, a diner, and Superman or Clark Kent stands up to a bully the way that Superman always has. Right. And he gets his lip bloodied because right. of it. And, exactly. and there's, there's some dialogue with him and Lois where he's like, uh, I, I, Lois says, I wish uh, the man who I loved... I just here. want the man I I love. I fell in love with. Yeah, yeah. And then Clark says, uh, "I I wish he was here." Yeah. He doesn't know that he's Superman. Like he, he's so caught up with Clark Kent being a different person than Superman. Right. He hasn't assimilated those two qualities and become a master of both worlds yet. Right. So it, it's wounding him, and she doesn't want him to be doing this, and that's really important because Lois would never take his strength away. Right. And and like when watching the um, uh, the theatrical uh, release version. At the very beginning, when there's the uh, the terrorists in, in at the Eiffel Tower in Paris, mm -hmm. and um, Clark Kent comes to the Daily Planet and he asks um, uh, Perry White, the, the editor, like what's going on in the world, and Perry White is like, 
Jesus, can't where have you been? Like, there's terrorists have taken over the you know the Eiffel Tower in Paris, mm -hmm. and like, don't you watch television? And he goes, oh, television's pretty violent. I just like like to settle down and read some Dickens, <laughs> and then um, and so in the Donner cut. They, that whole sequence is out, but they still have something like that at the diner mm -hmm. when um, they're watching the television and it's uh, the president t saying that he's abdicating the entire planet mm -hmm. to Zod. And then um, he, he calls out for Superman and then Clark Kent asks the the, um, the chef, he was like, well, what's going on? And he said, geez, for all, where have you been? In a desert? You know, yeah. on a desert island? Uh, same thing. Like he's disconnected from the world because mm -hmm. of his love. And so... Yeah. He basically has to get reconnected to like what his values are, what his purpose is. Yeah, he's selfish. Instead of loving, it's almost like right. he's a priest, right? Where instead of loving the whole world, he loved one person. Exactly. It's really interesting. And, uh, and it seems unfair, too. Like when you, you're like, yeah, but you understand, like as most uh, superhero stories touch upon, like it's hard for them to have actually a person they can have a relationship with because that person will always be a target for their enemies to yeah. like, you know, basically um, try to rule them for. That's why I love yeah. Lois though. Cause she's the one person who wouldn't care because like, she's already yes. a target. She's already fighting injustice. Yeah. She's already like, she yeah. accepts both halves of them. She's the one person that if he could just calm down and look at her as, and see, see her for her true self, the same yeah. way that she, that she can't see him for his true self when he's Clark Kent like, they're both in their own heads too much. They're writers. Right. It's really funny. And, um, and that's where I, uh, that's one of the main things I love about these Superman. This Lois Lane from um, Margot Kidder, you know, from Superman the movie and from Superman 2, um, from all the, well, from all these uh, Superman movies where Margot Kidder, Margot Kidder is uh, Lois Lane. Um, I love her. And mm. I was like 15 when this movie came out and I had such a crush on her not necessarily because she's beautiful, beautiful, sexy. It's because she was gutsy. And yeah, because yeah. she was like, man, she would do anything to go out there and get the story. She didn't care what she had to do, what danger she put her. In fact, it was almost like Lucille Ball in that she would think of these things that she would have to do to get her story and would think about the danger later mm -hmm. and then find herself in those situations. And yeah. like, uh-oh. But I love that about Lois. And um, even when she she's with Clark and where she's being held hostage by the uh, supervillains. Yeah, you know she's still is mouthy. She's sarcastic. Mm -hmm. um, she's willing to I die love for that justice. About, yeah. yeah, and so this movie came out um, again. Uh, I something I learned. Uh, I did not realize that it was released in 1980 in Australia and in some countries, mm -hmm. and we didn't get it till 80. June of 81. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but slowly. around that time, June of June of 81 is also when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. And Karen Allen, you know, uh, you know, her character is also a re really feisty woman, mm -hmm. and so I really liked in the in these early '80 movies, some of these women were really given a lot of power and strength and just like guttiness and fearlessness and that and she beats, to equal almost like the the main character, yeah, like the yeah. main the main male character, and so. she beats like uh, Ursa at the end. She's the oh, one who yeah. kicks her off and like yeah, she punches her in the her. face. It's great. It's amazing. Um, you mentioned earlier that uh, so in, in the Donner cut there is the Mar the Marlon Brando footage. Yes, and in the theatrical one it was Superman's Su mom, right, Susanna York, right. Yeah, and that's because Marlon Brando sued the producers for fifty million dollars. Yes, and it, it's an uh, interesting thing about the Salkinds, the producers. They had done. Um, uh, earlier, uh, they had produced a movie uh, called uh, The Three Musketeers, mm -hmm. and it was going to be like an epic, like over three hours long, mm -hmm. and Richard Lester was directing that, mm -hmm. and it's a really good movie, by the way. It's really worth watching. It's a, it's a very funny and great adventure. Mm -hmm. um, but they learned while they were making the movie that the length of the movie was going to be too long for theaters to accept it, so they were going to have to chop their movie in half and have it be come, you know, come out as two movies. Mm -hmm. 
So they did that without telling any of the actors. <laughs> so that which meant means that they got two movies out of the actors. The actors got paid once. Uh, of course, so l- shady. You know, lots of lawsuits came out of this, and supposedly caused the uh, Screen Actors Guild to uh, create what's called a Salkind clause, <laughs> which means that um, actors must be told how many movies is being handled by the contract yeah. so that they're not also swindled and like suddenly their one performance has turned into like multiple. Yeah, because uh, their salary is halved. Yeah, That's exactly. That's insanity. Yeah. So the same thing, you know, uh, they, you know, they, they were well, everybody was well aware of this mm-hmm. when this was happening with Superman 1 and 2 as well. It's so shady. And, and like Superman 1 and 2, you said they, they filmed them like two movies simultaneously. Yeah. And like that's insanely hard to do. And so Donner had a hard time coming in under budget and on time because oh, that's yeah. an impossible. It's impossible to make one movie right and to make two at the same well, time. Plus they were like they were trying to pioneer also all the technical effects to make a man fly. Yeah, like, all the stuff they were actually creating all the technology to make it possible with the first movie. Yeah. So all that R and D is going to take time. It's going to take a lot yeah. more money than you could ever budge for because you just don't know how to do it. Have you heard about the projector they were creating, the special projector? Oh yeah. So they're trying to make a projector that had a hologram of Superman that would fly out of the screen that you did not need 3D glasses to, to see right. and would surprise you. Yeah. So And they did it <laughs> once during one test screening and he came out and he was four inches tall because it was just they were projecting the light against the dust in the theater yeah. and they opened the lights a little bit. So this little four inch Superman flies over everyone's heads and they're like, am I tripping? Like, and people, <laughs> people laughed uproariously. And that the tagline for the poster that said, you'll believe a man can fly was about that special projector and they just quietly made it emotional afterwards they're like oh. no it's that now you'll believe because the story is so good right no it was a gimmick thing well i i didn't hear about that <laughs> until after i saw it uh in the theaters uh but i i will say that you know i i knew about the poster i had read the poster you'll mm-hmm. be able to a mannequin fly and the very first instance that in the in the superman in the movie where he takes flight inside the fortress of solitude mm-hmm. and he launches mm-hmm. That scene for me, that shot was so realistic, my jaw hit the ground. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, holy shit, I don't see any mat lines. He's really flying. I don't see anything suspending him. Um, um, Later on, of course, you can see, you know, I I had been studying visual effects. I could spot all the other stuff. Sure. But that one shot, like, did make a believer out of me, and I was, like, on board for the rest of the adventure. I remember that almost, like, being... Like it's a life mo- story movie. Like yeah. seeing that and like feeling like uncomfortable at how real. Like oh my god, it's Superman. It's literally Superman. Yeah. So you saw it in theaters. I saw it in theaters. And it came really out. Cool. I, I saw it. Um, pro- uh, probably. And I don't remember that I went like opening weekend, but very soon after it opened, I went with friends and. It was back in the days, like this is a 1978 Superman the movie. Mm-hmm. So a lot of movie theaters in El Paso. Um, we're still like one screen major movie theaters. Mm-hmm. So this one had a gigantic screen. Awesome. And awesome. it was also the time where you could buy a ticket and you could stay as many times as we wanted. No <laughs> one was shooing you out of there. So um, I do remember going to see it once, loving it, and then going back with my grandmother, my aunt, and my cousin. And we loved it so much. We sat and just bought more popcorn and sat through a second time. That is so cool. Because we loved it so much. I saw it on TV because in 1984, it started to play on ABC. Oh, right. With 24 extra minutes of footage. And a lot of that was this Donner stuff. Exactly. So I got to see a pseudo Donner cut. When I was right. a kid. Oh, I loved it because they added all the footage of uh, when he goes underground to Lex's lair and all the booby traps that Lex has set up for him. 
Uh, yeah, some great stuff. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then for for the second one, they did the same thing where they added footage for it, and right. they added a lot of the stuff that made it New York. Like when Superman yeah, yeah. smashes into the for, uh, into the Lady Liberty torch. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's pretty cool. And, and like as a kid, I was a little bit nerdy where I was like, well, it's Metropolis. How does it have? But then you uh, just uh, think yeah. about it, it's a different, different city. <laughs> yeah. And, and now nowadays, there's these really like poignant scenes where like there's destruction that's reversed when he reverses time and it's right in front of the twin towers yeah and you're like oh man i wish there was a superman so bad and all the, yeah all the posters oh yeah they all, of course they all feature the twin towers and everything from that era mm-hmm. um cause it's just you know that was a that was the skyline i mean that is new york um and so uh yeah seeing all the new footage uh that was in the in the donner cut was great uh the other thing that happens in the theatrical release mm-hmm. is like Miss Teschmacher, uh, you know, helps pilot the balloon to get Lex all the way to Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. Um, they have the conversation there. She finally is able to find the bathroom she's looking for, and that's <laughs> the last we ever see of her. And she's, Poor you Ms. know, like we don't know what happens to her. Um, of course, Otis stays in prison because he he's left there. Yeah, yeah. But um, both of those characters are two of my favorites from you know Leftover from the first oh, movie, the which best. I really I love. Ned Beatty as Otis. Yeah, yeah. They're both the best. Tessmacher given Lex grief is really funny to me because oh. he, he has all these sycophants usually. So why would he choose? He sort of wants his own Lois Lane. Yeah, she's like a tough. You know, she's a tough lady too. She she's channels really him. Yeah. yeah. So even even Lex who like likes people to bow down to him wants Miss Tessmacher, and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and this this story more than Superman one had all the elements as a kid that I wanted to see. Right, Superman fighting a guy, a bald Lex Luthor, not a guy with a wig or a hair. <laughs> right, like right. that was pretty cool. Uh, but that throwdown in, in the middle of the city is really intense. It is. And let's talk. So you're not a Man of Steel guy. I don't. No, I'm not a comic book reader. Oh, you. Oh, I, I, I mean, the movie, the, the, Man movie, of the darker Superman um, you were mentioning earlier. No, I mean, you know what? I think Henry uh, Henry Cavill, uh, Cavill mm-hmm. is. Um, perfect actually perfectly cast for the looks of superman mm-hmm. i mean he he looks the part mm-hmm. he's really handsome super strong like really like real body not just a, su- a suit put on him mm-hmm. but there was just something about um i don't know there's this shine in christopher Reeve's eyes when he's looking he just looks so pure so yeah, yeah. innocent but so definitely like he you know he's just like an optimist yeah. like you're looking at the, like the most hopeful kind of guy and uh, w- with Man of Steel, he's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, um, kind of he has co- uh, contradictions going on. He has things that he's unsure about. He yeah. thinks that he's not happy about about his yeah, situation. He's, he's angry, you know? yeah, very he's angry. angry. So let's talk about the fight in Man of Steel where the city gets leveled oh, right. versus Superman Two, where the first time we see Superman fighting, it's the exact same material with two different directors and, and two different actors, right? And it feels infinitely different. Yes. So I preferred the Superman two version much. I like, did too. Like, what you were just saying, he actively tries to rescue people. He does. At one point, um, Nan, who's this like, he's like the Hulk basically, is right. a Kryptonian <laughs> like, just killing machine. Yeah. He picks up a bus full of people and he's gonna throw it. Superman breaks down emotionally and he's like, No, don't do it. Like, he he he's not trying to hit him or heat vision him. He's pleading for his humanity. He's yeah. like, There are people in there. People. Right. And he's, it's it's heartbreaking, and and like, I love that there's that element of Superman's fights, and that he actually leaves the city so yeah. that they'll follow him elsewhere. Exactly. So, he won't, so they won't destroy any more people. Yeah. Whereas in yeah, Man of Steel, they have the showdown on the on the main street, but everything they hurl and that they blow up, there's people like right there, and you know people are getting killed. Yeah. Left and right, and it doesn't slow Superman once, he and doesn't he doesn't an say anything. He doesn't <laughs> say anything about all the people getting killed. He's just going after it, like yeah. like like a dog after red meat. He's yeah. just like going after them to fight. And um, the same thing with the 
with the machine they launch is going to drill into the Earth's core. You know, it's like killing millions of people. Or you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like uh, I think you should be doing something about this, Superman. Like all these people are dying around you, yeah. and he's not reacting to it. I think that was a, if if he had at least reacted to it, I'd been like, okay, he can't do. He's definitely overwhelmed. He can't do anything about it. Yeah. But I think my big problem was that he wasn't reacting to yeah. it. Which or is it didn't scary. Seem to be it's to it. terrifying, right? Because then um, later on in other storylines, they have the whole thing about like, can you trust Superman, a person with all these powers? Like, can we really trust somebody like this? Yeah, and, and the answer is no. <laughs> right, and, and that, that, that is really a true concern. Then when you have somebody like this who isn't trying to protect everybody, whereas you know? in this movie, which is my favorite moment in any Superman movie, Superman like he tries to save everybody and it's awesome and he's fighting, but he's still keeping the peace. And then when Superman gets beaten sensibly, he gets turned away by yeah. these criminals. All the humans come up and they're like. Those guys beat Superman. Let's get them. Yeah. And then every little kid with a baseball bat, every adult cracks their knuckles. Yeah. Men, women, and children all go oh, yeah. rush these Kryptonian murder machines who they can't beat. But that, you know what? That's our guy. That's, that's Superman. An, that's a very American movie yes. there. Yes. And, you know, New York equals America. So that's a very American thing. It's to, one to of say. us. Right. And the, and the same thing they've done in, in Spider-Man and other superhero movies where the bad guys do something really unfair to the, to the good guy yeah. and the American people finally like, you can't get away with that. And they yeah. all like form a mob. That's my neighbor. You yeah. don't do that to my neighbor. Yeah. And I so that's that just stuff. like, that's definitely like a very, um, you know, hopeful feeling that we, yeah. that's, you know, it takes something like that to make everybody unite and like fight as one. Yeah. So that's, that's really the good. American way. Right. And we lose that in these later movies where they don't address any of that patriotism right, at right. all or any of the cultural values. Like you see why he feels that way. Like we're worthy of saving. It's yeah. a really important part of Superman. And Man of Steel, we're just kind of like ants. But in this, you see why he cares about us, and we care about him back. And it's not like this, this like, like Ayn Rand parasite like right. kind of thing where we're just like, we're um, beholden to this character. Like, no, we're all Americans. He can fly and fight, but I can play the piano, and he's a surgeon, and she's a bus driver. <laughs> right, like, right. everybody has their talents. Exactly. And very Superman. I love that. I, I saw an uh, you know, interview Christopher Reeve about Superman 2 and just talking about the um, he, he said he was uh, bugged a little bit by some people who had ra uh, raised the question about is it propaganda to show Superman carrying the American flag and putting it on the White House and it was all that just propaganda you know this is the Reagan era and this is like coming out of a whole decade of distrust of the government with Nixon and with all of that stuff and many many movies all about you know, all the president's men and things like you know yeah. uh, Three Days of the Condor um, with all these things not to be trusted about our own government, about our own country. Do we have faith in our own country? Uh, and so uh, Christopher Reeve said, no, this is just actually a right moment where everybody was feeling good about the country again. And I just see Superman was just one of those, you know, kind of like um, a lighthouse, you yeah. know, for everyone to look up to, yeah, yeah. to, to make, just feel like it's okay again to feel proud of your country. Yeah. And there is some anti-propaganda stuff in there. Or there. It's like more of a UN type feel where on the moon, there's oh, a cosmonaut yeah, yeah. and an astronaut right. working together. Yeah. And there's a Russian flag on the moon with a U.S. flag, which yeah. isn't how reality is. Right. But in Superman world, where we're all working together, We're all united it is. more, yeah. I said, on that note, I'm going to go kiss a bald eagle and light a firework. All right. And uh, we'll take a quick break.
And we're back. So during the break, you told me a cool Superman fun fact about one of the actors. Oh, yeah. Well, John Ratzenberger, mm-hmm. who, um, who was in a lot of movies at this time in, uh, in the early 80s because he happened to be uh, you know, one of the Americans who was living in London and so, or, in, or in England. And so anytime movies uh, were shot at Pinewood Studios or Shepherdton or anywhere there mm-hmm. that took place uh, supposedly in America or dealt with Americans, uh, these guys would get cast all the time. So we see um, Sean Ratzenberger is actually in The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, really? He's actually, <laughs> yeah, he's actually, he's a rebel. And so, and he's also in Superman, the movie, as one of the uh, the technicians when they're firing the test missiles. Oh, that's so he's funny. He's also uh, in the, um, basically the Space Command, uh, the moon mission. Oh, okay. He's in there having the conversation. And so, um, you know, so, so John is like, of course, everyone knows now he ha- he plays a voice or does a voice for every Pixar movie that's out. That's mm-hmm. like this tradition they have going. But he's also in these Superman movies. So that's really you're gonna look out for him. That's so funny. We were talking about the the fighting in this in this movie. Yeah. And did you notice when you watched it for the first time that there were so many Marlboro ads, the oh, cigarette company? <laughs> that's right, the Marlboro truck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, there was I a lot hated of ads that. in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember even as a kid, because I'm super duper anti smoking. There's just yeah. a lot of hang up that I have because of family stuff. And but I hated it when I was a kid. And then I found out as an adult that they got forty three thousand oh. dollars from that company. I that makes total sense because in Superman the movie, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Cheerios box is prominently on the kitchen table yeah. at, at the Kent's uh, house, yeah, and yeah. they got paid, you know, uh, for having Cheerios prominently featured. So that yeah. makes total sense. That was, Cheerios this was makes like sense just the, to the beginning of of uh, uh, placement, you know, yeah, product integration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but Cheerios makes sense to me. But having Lois smoke when she does it in the comics drove me crazy, and having all the Marlboro ads, like in reality, cigarette trucks aren't marked because they might get robbed. Oh, right. So like, but they they are in the DC universe. What that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. There's actually there was a congressional hearing about smoking in kids' films because of Superman too. Really? Because forty three thousand dollars was given to them from that, and it's specifically just for it's a kids' movie. It's Superman. Yeah. So no, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would be concerned too. But but again, this is like early 80s, so a lot of stuff was still, you know, left over from the 70s. It was like we saw all the time and things were changing. So that, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And the Donner cut cuts a lot of it because in the theatrical cut, there were a, a contractually mandated 22 impressions of Marlboro. Like oh, it wow. appeared 22 separate times on screen. Yeah. And in the, the, the Donner cut, it's only like two or three when it would just be in a city naturally. Well, Coca-Cola is sort of uh, prominently featured too. Um, <laughs> they have a, like a spectacular shot where Zod gets basically like smashed into it. And, it's so uh, awesome. One of my favorite shots. Dude, how cool is Terrence Stamp? <laughs> Zod, oh my God. I love so, that guy. So uh, again, like a an incredible actor who, you know, I was 15 when I saw this movie, so I didn't, I was not aware of his earlier work. Mm-hmm. But apparently, in, in seeing a, a, an interview with him and with um, Sarah Douglas, who um, uh, was a, one of the super villains as well, Ursa, she, yeah. Ursa uh, he says that he was living in India, hadn't worked for seven or eight years, and happened to send a postcard to his um, agent. Who then sent him a reply to he got he sent him a telegram immediately once he found out where he was staying. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to respond to this immediately. They're looking for an actor to play this character, you know. And so that's how he found out about being Zod. He's and so, so great. he went and 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 got the part. Um, but he, I mean, he, that's like uh, a movie's only as good as its villain, mm-hmm. and he is like the ultimate like villain, classy. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically, you know, he's the commands the attention of the screen of the audience. You yeah. know, he just 
And it's great because against Superman, like, you really are fearful. Like, can't Superman outdo this guy? Because he's a soldier. He's general as odd. And Clark is just this dude who's a farmer from Kansas who's now a writer. He's the biggest nerd ever. He's never gotten a fight before because who could fight Superman? And And now a soldier is fighting him. That's horrific as a kid. Right. And then I just love the dispassionate violence of Zod because both Lex Luthor and Superman are passionate men Mm -hmm. uh, fighting for themselves or for other people. They feel passionate about that. Zod does not. It makes sense to him that he would rule and everything else is illogical and he'll just end it immediately with his fist. Why would you not worship me? Zod and Ursa. Ursa, for for some reason, like I think it's unusual that she's always bringing up that she wants to kill men. Like she's just has this thing against men. She wants to kill men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and even in the beginning, they said you know she uh, even the children are at risk from Ursa. So yeah. she's just also like a killing machine. Mm-hmm. Um, she has and, more of the passion that Zod doesn't. She's she likes killing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. She she has a, a more theatricality about that part of it. And mm-hmm. then Pornon, he's just like wants is like a giant like Dino the dinosaur, a pu- giant puppy dog. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, the 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 whole the whole thing with Zod is um, made even more powerful in the Donner cut mm-hmm. when he realizes that the son of Jor-El is on this planet mm-hmm. and he finally has a chance for revenge. There's a few more, I think, uh, different takes and they use in the in the Richard Lester cut that make it more like I I can't believe it and like you are that person. I'm going to take it out on you. Zod's interesting because he was kind of right, right? Like we're, yeah. in the reality that we're experiencing right now on Earth, uh, the 1% of people are destroying the planet for greed because like, the world won't end in their lifetime, but eventually it will, and yeah. they don't care. And that's exactly what Krypton was. Yeah. And Zod was trying to overthrow the elite in order to save the planet. Right. And Jorah was like, you know what? We have to be peaceful about this. We have to be democratic. And then the planet was destroyed. But he saved his own son. Yeah, he saved he <laughs> saved his own one son. Yeah. But that's a really hairy moral predicament. It is, yeah. Because when is violence appropriate and when o- isn't? Of it? course, to uh, to be fair to Jor-El, the council uh, silenced him and mm. did not allow him to speak up about the danger. So he just saved his son. And yeah. so in a very very kind of pol- political ambiguity, he mm. like just said that he and neither he nor his wife would attempt to leave the planet, but they didn't say anything about their son. That's so. why he's heroic, right? Because he sacrifices himself. He's not like, screw you guys, I'm leaving to Earth. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, Jarrell's pretty great in the series. Marlon Brando's amazing. Uh, he also brings like a gravitas... Oh yeah. To the, I feel like the reason, like Jor-El and Ter- or, uh, Marlon Brando and Terrence Stamp are how we have Anthony Hopkins and Thor... Oh. You know, like yeah, they, yeah. they set a precedent for having these amazing actors being in these like popcorn movies. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. No, in the same way that uh, Alec Guinness, you know, yes. um, you know, when he was cast for Star Wars, like elevated the movie like mm-hmm. so much more than, you know, in everyone's eyes. They're like, oh, this is going to be a real movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've got a real actor in there, you know, and instead of these, you know, uh, B-listers or, or unknowns. Isn't it beautiful that they're playing mentors in the stories and they're actually in reality, the same mentor energy where they're like oh, the yeah. old guy, that an old hero passing the torch along to the new hero of Chris Reeve or DeMar Camel. Like, I like that there's an energy uh, mirrored in reality and in fiction. That's Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Also, I mean, uh, what's really cool is that, you know, Darth Vader, Dave Prowse was Superman's trainer, Christopher Reeve's trainer. Yeah, yeah. To help him get in shape to be Superman. So I love all this, like, you know, um, fanboy, like, uh, just uh, knowledge of, like, these movies that we love so much about 
the people that played different, you know, dual roles and behind the scenes. The Zod's costume is sort of Darth Vader-y too, like all the black military stuff. Yeah. There's a funny point where some cops in like Smallville or wherever they see them and they're like, I bet you $10 those guys is from Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those crazy hippies. That that was good. The, now, the Richard Lester uh, cut is definitely more comical. It mm-hmm. has a lot more farce and it has a lot more gags in it in the New York battle than uh, than Donner's does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donner didn't get to finish shooting a lot of the New York scene because um, they, they were still shooting it. But uh, Richard Lester, you know, was um, he did movies for the Beatles. He did their first two movies. Oh, I didn't realize Hard that. Night and um, um, Help. Oh, I never realized that. It's funny. And so, uh, in fact, he got a special award from MTV as being the father of music video. Oh, that makes sense. Because of the the footage, the way and the way he shot the Beatles yeah, uh, yeah. with multicam. Which was he one of the first ones to cover musicians' performances that way, Interesting. Uh, which is cool. So he he was bringing all, all like the, especially the comedic uh, rambunctiousness as they described uh, mus- uh, the three musketeers sure. to Superman two, which to make it more fun. Mm-hmm. And it I I have to admit I do love all the little gags in there when the super breath is blowing everybody over yeah, yeah. and people's wigs blowing off <laughs> and the guy in the phone booth getting blown over and still talking on the phone and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. there was a guy on rollerblades that's like, you know, with a disco suit on. I mean, it's totally not dramatic It's at almost all. like a Mad Magazine yeah. uh, compilation of all these characters on that's the That's a great description. Um, but um, what is uh, technically amazing uh, to realize is that they, at, you know, in like 1978 dollars, Spent $4 million to reconstruct uh, 42nd Avenue on the back uh, lot of the Pinewood Studio. Oh, wow. So that's how they did all that. Of course, you know, they weren't going to do that in New York City, but they, they constructed, you know, only what the camera would see, but still great an entire street so they could have full size cars, yeah. full size explosions, all that stuff. And then Derek Meddings, who's like one of my absolute heroes in special effects. Uh, he and his team did a miniature, an exact miniature version of that 42nd Street, yeah. um, complete with the cars so that when the Super Breath blew the cars and they flew up in the air and mm-hmm. crashed into each other, you know, those were all miniatures, but they were pretty seamless. That's oh, so cool. Um, it looks gorgeous, too. I watched it this morning, and like, oh. it looks to me, nothing against like modern films, but like I could watch a Transformers and watch this, and like yeah. this is more believable than a Transformers oh, would yeah. be with like much more money and much more technical ability and CGI and stuff. Like Superman 2 looks like a reality to me still. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, Superman 2 was still like very pre-CG by many, many years. Mm-hmm. Everything is physical. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the stuff that looks the most fake is the stuff that was still being... Um, composited optically in the old-fashioned way, which sure. had, you know, which was like to best approximation. So um, the stuff that uh, Lester, uh, his spe- his special effects that he put in there, um, were of lower quality. Unfortunately, sure. like the stuff with um, with Superman's mother, mm-hmm. um, and they were just like you can tell, you can see all the lines uh, where they were uh, blue screen or green screened and yeah. composited that way. Yeah. Um, but you know that's the way. It, it's a it's a you know. It's it's a great adventure with a lot of comedy, a lot of action, and so first time you're watching it, you're not paying attention to all that stuff. Sure, unless you're like a special effects star log reader like me <laughs> that like is looking for every technique that's being used. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you mentioned they good. they filmed this in the first one back to back. This one in the Donner cut has the first one's ending. Yes, which is that there's no amnesia kiss, which I know people right. hate, and I I don't like it either. Right, right. Uh, Superman actually reverses time to make sure that none of the damage caused in this movie was ever came to be. Right, and the really cool thing. So the two uh, the reason that happened was that um, you know the original intent of of Gene one and two was that they were going to have some kind of a cliffhanger. It was going to be that the the missile was going to strike California. All that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but then the missile that he hurls out into outer space, that in the, as in we learn in the Donner Cut, mm -hmm. that's what's going to set the um, the the three supervillains loose from the Phantom Zone, yeah. not the hydrogen bomb that the terrorists launched from the Eiffel Tower mm -hmm. or that Superman takes out from the Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. So when Donner was um, putting his cut together again, he decided to go ahead and put his original ending on it, even though we're going to see it twice, you know, because mm -hmm. that's that's how he intended it for, for it to be. Mm -hmm. What's also really cool is right before they go back to Metropolis and they do this amnesia kiss, uh, when Superman takes Lois out of the Fortress of Solitude, he looks back at it and with his uh, super beams destroys the Fortress That's of Solitude. one of my favorite moments. Which I think is amazing because he's basically like cutting cords with the past. Yes. And with his old planet because yes. he's not going to look back and, and have that be the thing that can, that shames him or controls him or anything like that from here on out it's all new he's yeah. going to create everything isn't that amazing he's now yeah. he's an american and a human yeah and, and he knows that, like lois loved him even though he's gonna reverse time and she doesn't she's never gonna kiss him or anything yeah. like he knows that he's capable of love right so he's not isolated he's yeah. not solitary he doesn't need a fortress of solitude he has a little apartment that's two blocks from lois lane and he's one of us now and that that's amazing right and according to the that cut also um the way he re he regains his powers is that his father basically, of course, has anticipated he's going to come back, mm -hmm. uh, realizing his mistake, and he's going to use his very last bit of energy, the father, uh, Jor-El's hologram, to infuse the powers back into his son. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they, you know, he says, this will be the prophecy that's fulfilled, that is fulfilled, mm -hmm. that the father becomes the son the son becomes the father and the father the son yeah where they join forces which we basically. heard in the first movie right when he was a baby and exactly little so it's a space. really good it's tie beautiful. together of all, all that stuff happening and so the, really that's the only uh reason for having the fortress there was because it housed his father and all the memories and all that mm -hmm. stuff so he could just move on it's so beautiful and i love that like i i really respect that you can talk about something that's such so silly as a sequel to a superman movie oh. and have this like emotion <laughs> in your eyes and like talk about it as if it's like greek myths and like there aren't many people that talk about superman in a way that is as reverent oh uh, like why do you think that you connect with that character so much or that you have so much respect for this pop mythology i think it's because for me it's like um superman is still uh in, in all the iterations because i know um his beginnings and what the the kind of society where he rose from from you know from the from the America of that time yeah, yeah. that he was a symbol a beacon of hope and truth and justice that we all were hoping for and searching for that we all hope that we are inside of ourselves as Americans as our country yeah. and now that we're a more global country that we wish for people in the world to have this this optimism yeah and it wasn't easy when he was born and it's sure not easy now but we need a superman we do I love it. I love it. James, this has been so great. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I thanks so much. It. This was where, a lot of fun. Where can folks find you and your work online, which they should? Oh, well, uh, you can go to starburnsindustries.com. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, just look for our work on there. And we mentioned the Christmas special, which I'm a huge fan of and, and you're clearly very proud of. Yeah. That episode is called uh, Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas. Right. And you should find that. That's on iTunes and everything. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also Anomalisa, which was oh, uh, so our good. first feature film. That we're um, uh, following up with a, a, another movie we're getting ready to do, our second uh, stop motion animated film. Uh, so just be on the lookout for more news about that. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Thanks right. very much. Until next time, everybody. Up, up, and away. Ooh, super friends with Eric Esquivel. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.